Back to left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing to yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Three bounce. Another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts. Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. All right, welcome to the Scotiabank Saddledome and welcome to this hour of Flames Talk. It is Wednesday, November 1st. Welcome to November and welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $1450 or explore the full line of safes at CalgaryLockandSafe.com. Yeah, Steinberg and Vickers along with you on this Wednesday edition of the program. Hello, A.B. Now that we flipped the calendar to November, is it time to bust out the Christmas decorations yet? Are we done with Halloween? We can look forward to I'm a, all that. I'm a strict um, December 1 guy for Halloween uh, for Christmas decorations. I don't, I don't really do Halloween decorations. But you didn't get dressed up yesterday? Did not. Did you? I went as Pat Steinberg. How many people threw rocks at you? <laughs> Um, well, all of a sudden, as uh, we kick off this hour of the program, and maybe not all of a sudden, but even more so than before, this uh, this Flames forward group is really getting tested when it comes to their depth. And, and you know, coming into the season, that was maybe the one thing a lot of people would have pointed to in terms of what the strengths of this team uh, or one of the strengths of this team would be and that would be, hey, they may not have the high end that some other teams in the Western Conference have. They might not have a Jason Robertson like the Flames are going to see on Wednesday night or a Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisettle like they saw on Sunday or Jack Eichel, Nathan McKinnon, like the, the high end they maybe don't have that on this team but what they do have is a decent amount of depth line one through line four well first it was Jacob Pelche shoulder injury long term then it was Kevin Rooney shoulder injury long term Adam Rizicka shoulder injury is going to miss a third straight game on Wednesday we don't know exactly when he's going to return and now you can add Dylan Dubé to the list of forwards that will miss at least one game Dylan Dubé not going to play this Wednesday game against Dallas so that's four forwards that the Flames had at the very least penciled into their opening day roster. Uh, maybe not always in the lineup, but definitely in Pelche's case, and Dubé's case, probably Rizicka's case on the everyday lineup. And I think Kevin Rooney was trending towards being an everyday player or at least on the roster to start the season as well. So now you've got four forwards that are missing this game against Dallas and not uh, like in and of themselves – I don't think any one of those players is a make-or-break guy necessarily, but when you take four of them away and your top players that we may or may not have spoken ad nauseum about the last two days and your top players aren't pulling their weight, it's a lot of adversity for this Flames team to overcome, and and they're... uh, they're going through it. They're struggling on the ice. They're dealing with all kinds of adversity lineup-wise, and you can add Dylan Dubé's name to the list. And I know he's not off to the greatest start to his season either, but that's another subtraction to Calgary's lineup, a subtraction that they probably didn't need right now. Yeah, and with all due respect to each individual, you're probably not too... You're upset when a guy gets injured, obviously, particularly when he's one of your everyday players, but you probably feel like you can survive one of them. You probably feel like you could survive a couple of them. But this has been death by a thousand cuts for the Calgary Flames depth up front and it's 
not the injuries aren't the only reason why the Calgary Flames have lost five in a row and six of seven or seven of eight or whatever we're up to at this point. I think all of those numbers are are accurate, actually. But it doesn't help when you're missing a guy that was probably penciled in on your second line in Rizicka, a guy that was penciled in all throughout your lineup in Dylan Dubé. Jacob Peltier, again, is, was going to be a guy that would probably be slotted in and around all four lines, depending on how the offense was going for the Calgary Flames. And then Kevin Rooney, who I, like you, believe he was going to be one of 13 forwards for the Calgary Flames, at least to start this season. And, of course, he's injured as well. So when you're missing four guys that are, in theory, in your top 13 in terms of your depth chart, that's not ideal. That's not where you want to be when you're staring down a losing streak and you're searching for anything yeah. to turn your fortunes. And again, like I, I don't think any one of those guys exiting the lineup turns into well, now this is untenable. Uh, now this is untenable, and now the, this team isn't going to be able to to get the job done. Like. Uh, Dylan Dubé, when he's on, he helps this team win. And Adam Rzichka has been a nice player for him this year. And it's too bad that he's had to deal with this uh, shoulder injury for the last three games. I guess it'll be the last two games he's missed, and he Plus, uh, he'll miss yeah. this third game against Dallas. I mean, he as it stands right now, not sorry to interrupt you. Rzichka's fourth in team scoring. I know, and he's missed two games already. Don't ever apologize. Interruptions are allowed. It's it's sports talk. We're allowed. I, like, I just love it, your it would, soliloquy. It would be it would be so boring if it was just like. Well, I'm going to talk, and now you're going to talk, and I'm going to respect as you talk, and then you're going to... Now I'm going to find... That's not how we do it at a bar. Now I'm going to find ways just to interrupt you, just to see if I can get under your skin a little bit. Maybe some of that agitating that I'm able to do. I worked with Ryan Pinder for two years, so... Like, well, way to bury me down that depth chart better, if you want to talk depth you, charts. You better you better bring it if you're going to talk about interrupting. Oh, I'm going to need like a catchphrase and something just to interject there. But, uh, yeah, I digress. Like... Adam Rizicka, yeah, but what, how, about, how are the tax implications, though? What about the tax <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Pinder. <laughs> um, but can they fit it under the cap? He was, look, if you wanted minutia, Pinder brought the minutia. All right. He did. Um, and still does. I, it's, it's, uh, it's a difficult spot they're in because Huberto, because... Kadri, obviously those are the two that have gotten most of the um, most of the barbs here over the last little bit. But Manchapani's offensive game has kind of been up and down, and Lindholm's offensive game has been up and down. And, and you know, through nine games, don't know if you could say that you've gotten from a forward standpoint, especially from your top players, the guys that you're counting on for offense. I don't know if you've gotten anything consistent across the board from any of those guys. And now you're also having your depth tested, and your depth can only be a strength, and you can only talk about being the the Vegas Golden Knights model if you're also getting the top guys pulling their weight. Like, Vegas and their model works because I think think Jack Eichel's an elite center. Some don't. I think he is a borderline generational guy. I think he is a hell of a player. So I I don't I don't agree that Vegas doesn't have that that superstar player cuz I believe they do in Jack Eichel. But even when they were a team that didn't have Jack when they were going to Stanley Cup finals and Western Conference finals. I mean their first 4 years they went to the final four three times and probably should have gone four times if they weren't jobbed in that game 7 against San Jose. So the that team didn't have elite players, and yet they were always challenging for Stanley Cups. 
but their top players still brought right. it. Mark Stone brought it. Max Pacioretty brought it. Like they, they contributed the way that they needed to for what they are. And you're not getting that on the Flames right now, so you can't even be a team that comes at other groups at waves if your top players aren't doing it. So already your depth isn't as much of a strength as it could or should be, and now it's actually being tested with three to four regular forwards out of the lineup once again. It puts a lot on um, it puts a lot on players like Dryden Hunt and AJ Greer and Yegor Sharon Govich, and in this game against Dallas, Connor Zary as he makes his NHL debut. It puts a lot on Matt Coronado as a rookie. So it's just. They're being tested, and so far the the test has been a difficult one for the Flames. They have, at this point, not been able to um, pass the degree of difficulty scale. They've still got lots of time left, as we know, but, uh, yeah, it's just of all that's going on and all that's going wrong, they didn't need Adam Rzichka to potentially um, sustain a setback in his comeback. Kind of feels like he might have. They didn't need Dylan Dubé to get a little banged up. And yet here they are, and uh, they've got more adversity to deal with against a very good Dallas team, and we'll see for how much longer after that. Yeah, I, like you, thought that the strength of this forward car wasn't going to be necessarily the high end, even though you have a $10-plus million guy in Jonathan Hubert own a $7 million guy in Nazem Kadri, but it was going to be the ability to roll all four lines, get everybody involved, have depth scoring, you know, maybe find a guy like Blake Coleman. Again, not Blake Coleman specifically, but another guy where you're, you know, maybe you're playing in the bottom six, but you find a way to contribute 2020. You're able to fill the void of Tyler Toffoli leaving with a collective step forward by so many players that had down years a year ago, and we haven't seen that happen through the first month or first three and a half weeks of the season. And when you don't have that depth coming through and you don't have your best players being your best players, at least offensively in terms of production, it's not hard to look around and go, okay, I can figure out why the Calgary Flames are 28th in the NHL and goals four with 19. Yeah. And, I mean, you take on top of that, they haven't had all for Shillington all year, and they lost Rasmus Anderson for four games due to suspension. So they've also been tested when it comes to their blue line depth and kind of have been all year um, because they've been dealing, you know, trying to figure out, is Osterley the, the best option for six? Is Gilbert the best option for six? Ideally, would they want Solovyov if they could to be their number six guy? It's all just, it's uh, a lot of adversity uh, early on, and uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if they can maybe face down that adversity in a really tough matchup against Dallas on this Wednesday night. As we're underway this hour of Flames Talk, Steinberg and Vickers with you from the Scotiabank Saddledome. Um, and we, we, do have, we do have lots of things to dive into. It's been, they're, they're in a very soft kind of stretch in their schedule. They play Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Friday. They're, they've got lots of time between games, so lots of, times for, uh, lots of time for us to analyze plenty and to really get into some of the nitty-gritty. Doesn't, doesn't that set up real nice? Uh, if they're unable to snap the losing streak today, that's two more days of what's wrong. And then if they don't do it Saturday, that's two more days. And then if they don't do it Tuesday, that's two more days. Like well, the Cal- they, 
And imagine if they're reeling going into Friday's game, next Friday's game, because... Against Bradshaw Living and the Toronto Maple Leafs? the Maple Leafs, against uh, their old general manager in the center of the hockey universe, all that type of stuff. That, uh, that would not set up very well for him either. Um, the injuries and, and Dylan Dubé's situation does open the door, though, for Connor Zary. Uh, he was playing coy after he spoke with us on Wednesday. And I get it. You, you, you haven't even played an NHL game yet, so you're not going to let the cat out of the bag. And Maybe just an off chance you hadn't been told. No, he Maybe. knew. No, he knew. Come on. He's playing in this game. Do the Flames even he have an extra Florida after it. Dylan Dubé? No, they don't. Unless Eleven they're going to go. 11-7, and seven, Connor Zary's going to debut, yes. um, and look, he's going to play in this game. Zary's going to make his NHL debut. He's off to a great start in the American League. He's playing coy here, but, you know, just imagine that the what-ifs and the maybes are him talking about his NHL debut. Here's Connor Zary after an optional morning skate on Wednesday. If I get this opportunity, I think after uh, getting a chance to talk and and see what's going on for the lineup tonight. It's going to be uh, really awesome. I think uh, I'll be really excited just kind of waiting to see. You wake up on a day like today even, you know, with a little bit of I know you are here yesterday, go through some of that, but a little different feel today? Yeah, 100%. I think you have a little bit of nervous excitement. I think uh, um, that chance kind of be right there in front of you to, to maybe possibly make your NHL debut is, is uh, something that's uh, pretty cool and pretty special. So... Um, I think, yeah, it's a, a little bit of a different morning for sure. Can you handle the nap? Like, could you nap on a day like today? Or are you traditionally a big napper? Uh, I usually like to take a good nap. I didn't think I'd be able to sleep last night, but I slept like a baby. So, <laughs> so we'll, see what, we'll see what happens this afternoon. I'll just clean living. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> who do you think will be going through your mind if you make your debut tonight? Who might you be thinking of? Yeah, I think first and foremost, my parents, my mom and dad, and, and my brother and my grandma. I think just... Uh, the, the main people that have kind of been around me my whole life supporting me and, and helped me to get to this, this point, this moment, and, and really it's all, all because of them and, and uh, not so much me. Have you thought about, like a, a lot of guys, well, everybody gets that solo lap. Have you, have you talked to guys on the Wranglers even about that experience and what goes through their head? Uh, no, not really. I, I think uh, most guys probably don't really have too much going through their head. They're probably, probably a little black, blacking out. But, um, no, I, I really haven't talked to, to, to many guys about it. Obviously, I've lived with the Pelts for, for a couple of years, and, and he was able to have that opportunity last year. So chatted about it with him for a little bit, and, and uh, I think no matter what, it's, it's special. Well, give the young man credit. He did uh, everything in his power to not say he's playing in this game. Poker face. Which he is. I believe he gave. He may have given a wink on the way back into the locker room as well. I don't know that for sure. But um, the let, let's assume that he's in. Yeah. Because he because he, he's the only he, forward remaining right now on the in. active roster. What. Let's let's talk expectations for Zeri. I know a lot of people have been clamoring and pounding the table for more youth. And, and hey, we're not even 10 games into a season. This is game 10 Wednesday night against Dallas. And Coronado's played all 10 games. Solovyov's been up for two. And now Zeri is up, and he's going to play. So Craig Conroy said it in his introductory news conference. He told us in Penn Ticton when we were there for Young Stars, he said, you know, we kind of said we were going to do something, so let's follow through on that. And they are. This is they—they they are recalling players far quicker than in prior regimes, 
and they're playing the players that they recall. They're not sitting around and just watching. They're they're getting in. Solovyov got recalled and played right away. And Zeri gets recalled. He's going to play right away. And what we saw at practice on Tuesday was him on a line with Nazem Kadri and Yegor Sharangovich and him on the second power play unit. So he's going to play. He's going to get opportunities to thrive. They're going to put him in a situation to succeed. I think that's important. So what are fair, immediate, kind of short-term expectations? Let's, let's say Zary gets two or three games here. What, what are expectations for him in the early going? I'm not even going to put a point total necessarily on it. I'm just going to say come in and inject some energy. And as you mentioned, he's playing with Sharon Govich and Kadri. I don't think the expectation should be that you're airlifting your AHL leading scorer up to the NHL roster in order to jumpstart your $7 million center. I don't think that that's necessary. Like, if Kadri doesn't come shooting out of the gate because Connor Zary's on his right wing, I don't think that that's... That, not on Zary. That's not on Zary yeah. whatsoever. So I think he just needs to come in, keep it simple. I mean, he's shown offensive prowess basically at every level, so I'd like to see some creativity out of him. I'd like to see him try some things. We know the Calgary Flames, at least in theory, have opened up this season in terms of if you want to try something out there in the offensive zone... Don't be shy to, but this is a player that in his draft year had 86 points in the Western Hockey League. That was fifth highest among all players, not just draft eligibles. And then he eventually makes it to pro. And okay, his first full season, he plays 53 games, has 25 points, so dips a toe into that experience, then comes back, puts up 58 and 72, and now he's got a six-game point streak to start this season with one goal and nine assists. You want to see... What's made him effective at the AHL level? What's made him a quality player, a quality point producer in the AHL level? Don't change your game. Come up and play your game exactly as you'd play it if you were wearing a Wranglers jersey. Just do it in a Flames uniform. The um, the, the things that I want to see from him are, first of all, I, I think the, the first thing you said is important. Just inject some energy. Come out there, play with energy. Add a little spark, add a little pop, and especially in this game against Dallas, yes. like make it look like you're playing your first NHL game. You'll get the solo lap, play with energy. I remember Matthew Phillips' first NHL game. He was like he was shot out of a cannon. I remember Matt Coronado's first NHL game. It was like he was shot out of a cannon. So Coronado had something like five shots in 13 minutes of ice time or something. In that game against yeah, San Jose, that I'm sounds about right. He was shooting like crazy. And and I don't necessarily need to see shots or, or a certain number of anything, but just play with energy and and look like a guy that is is excited to be at this level. That would be number one. But number two, the thing that, uh, that Ryan Huska has talked about here has been talked about his energy, talked about getting an opportunity on the power play, but they really like his playmaking ability. You take a look at his numbers so far in the American League, nine of his ten points are assists, and they really are interested to see what he can do from a playmaking standpoint, what he can do on the wall on the power play. Yes. That, that's going to be really interesting, how he can distribute from that spot, and can he give the Flames just a little bit more of a dangerous look moving the puck around, and, and can he, as, as we know, Nazem Kadri likes to have the puck on his stick. He's a he's a really uh, important transporter on this team. He's a guy that enters the zone, but can Zary get 
Kadri in spots to shoot it. And if they're playing on a line together, can he get Sharon Govich some looks? So that's what I'll be looking for. And and there's nothing that I'm gonna nothing that I'm gonna take away from you know three or six or nine periods and be like, oh no, it's failure. This guy's not gonna work. But those are some of the things that I'll be looking for early on. But more the long term with Zeri, I for for me he feels like a a nice middle six option for this team going forward. A, a guy that, you know, it's unfortunate that they don't have anybody that you can point to and say, that guy is clearly, no questions asked, uh, a blue chip top line or top pair prospect. That that uh, Outside of Dustin Wolf, They right. don't necessarily have that right now. And I look forward to seeing Dustin Wolf on the top line. Yeah, me day. too. That'd be, uh, that'd, be, that'd be great to see. Um, but they've got Zeri, they've got Coronado, they've got a few other names, Jeremy Poirier, maybe a few other names that you can point to and say they project to be kind of middle-of-the-depth chart NHLers. And, and I think Zeri can be a pretty solid middle-of-the-depth chart NHLer as he progresses through his career. Well, and as things stack up now, like he's knocking on the door and he obviously is going to get his, as we expect, will get his first NHL game in. But if you hypothetically sign Lindholm long-term, you have Backlund re-upped on a, on a couple years. You've got Kadri, who's got five years after this. I'm curious to see him on the wing because I think his path to an NHL career, at least as it stands right now for the Calgary Flames, is as a winger. So he's got the opportunity here playing the right side to show what he can do both now and maybe give a glimpse into the future of what his potential is because I think he can be a second-line winger. I think he can be a third-line winger. I don't think his game is necessarily suited in a fourth-line role, and I think that was one of the reasons we didn't necessarily see him out of camp because that was the the spot that was available with uh, Rooney being injured if we want to tie this back into to the injury situation a little bit. But now here he is getting that top-nine opportunity, whether you want to call Sharon Govich, Kadri Zari, the number two liner if you want, and you go hunt Backlund Coleman as the number two line. This is an opportunity for a 22-year-old to get his first NHL game in. He's got pro pedigree with what he's been able to do to start this season uh, with the Calgary Wranglers. He's got first round pedigree, of course, being the 2020 first round pick of the Calgary Flames. And he had a standout junior career. So the steps have been taken. I'm curious to see what the next step is for him. And again, it might be a one-game audition, it might be a three-game audition, whatever it is. Well, it's kind of up gotta to seize, him. You got to seize the opportunity, absolutely. If if uh, if all of a sudden, if if it's only a one-game absence for Dubé, for instance, and he's good to come back Saturday in Seattle, well, if you're Zeri, keep yourself in the lineup and steal a job so that, exactly, and and make it so that another player who is on the fringes is the player that they want to take out because they can they can keep him. They've got the ability to keep them. Neither Rizichka nor Dubé are on LTIR. They're they're counting against the cap fully right now, so they are maxed out on their roster spots. But even if Dubé returns, they can keep Zary in the lineup. So make it hard on Craig Conroy. Make it hard on Ryan Huska. Go out there and obviously, if if Pelche comes back or or if Rooney comes back, different story. Right. Then you have to. But make like. I think as it stands right now, Zeri's got an opportunity here to to stay for a little while, depending on how things go with Rizichka and Dubé. They're carrying that um, they are carrying enough to be able to keep them, and maybe they don't want to, but make it difficult. And we'll see if he can starting in this game against the Dallas Stars. So. He wouldn't. He wouldn't be the first player to come up 
during a season and take a job. And he should, this is going to sound maybe a little bit weird, but he should be treating this exactly like he was treating the preseason games because he was auditioning for a job with the Calgary Flames yeah, in the preseason. Is. He still is. So just the fact that you get one doesn't necessarily guarantee you you get two, but he does have the opportunity here if he's able to put together at least an initial good impression, a good performance, get a second look, maybe a third look, so on and so forth, to get to the point where, you know what, you force somebody else out of the lineup. Um, looks like Huberto, Lindholm, Mangiapane back on a line together, perhaps. That's something that we have seen at different times throughout the year. Uh, we'll see if that's the way the Flames go in this game against Dallas or not. But just hypothetically, let's say they do. That's the way they looked at practice on Tuesday. Is that a line they should commit further to? And I know that they are very, very adamant that they like Backland, Manchapani, Coleman together, and for good reason. Yeah, absolutely. You know that works. You also know Backlund and Coleman work, and you can put different players with them. We're going to see it looks like Dryden Hunt get an opportunity on that line. You take a look at some of the underlying numbers and, and some of the the different things that we have access to around the NHL when together that Huberdo Lindholm Manjapani line has has been a decent line. Like for instance at Money Puck, they're a top fifteen line when it comes to their expected goals percentage. And and some of the other metrics that you can look at have been fairly favorable for them as well. They, they need to get more out of top players. They need to find some semblance of a top line. We need to stop tweeting out lines or looking at the, the, li- the depth chart and arguing who the top line is. Because right now, you, you look at those games on su- that, that, those lines on Sunday against the Oilers, I don't know who the top line was. Was it the Kadri huberdo line? Nope. Was it the Lindholm line? Nope. Was it the Backlund line? Yeah, maybe. I like you you don't know right now what is truly the number one line. You kinda have to look at Ice Time and be like, I guess that was the number one line. They need to, if they can, find one. And if Lindholm, Huberdo, and Manjapani can continue to progress along the same lines they've been progressing, albeit somewhat slowly, I think that's their best chance of finding one right now. I don't think it's optional. They have to find a top line. Absolutely they do. And they haven't through the first nine games of the season, and we've seen the amount of line juggling that's gone on just in search of finding any spark of chemistry whatsoever, which outside of the Mangiapane, Backlund, Coleman line, and to a degree I would suggest Greer, Sharon, Govich, Dewar, but we haven't seen anything hit in the top six. And if this is what you want to try, if this is the route you're going with Huberto, Lindholm, Mangiapane, I think you've got to give them more than a period or more than three periods. You've got to give them a good run. And we've we've seen the struggle of finding connection between Huberto and Lindholm, but we've heard time and time again from players that sometimes chemistry isn't instant. And you need to find out once and for all for me whether or not Huberto Lindholm is a pairing or if it's not. Let me uh, throw you these numbers. Uh, so as a line together, they've played 41 minutes and 52 seconds at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, when together, they're a 58.9% possession line. Uh, shot attempts with them on the ice are 53-37 uh, in favor of the Flames. Now they have been fed a lot of offensive zone starts. They are almost As 70%. they should, though, if they're going to be the top line. Yep, fair enough. Especially when you've got a backland line that can take on Water. really, really heavy defense 
defensive zone starts. Uh, they have outscored the opposition 3-2 to two together. And here's the one that really jumps out. At high danger, they're an 11-4 line. So they have created 11 high danger chances and only allowed four. I'd give that line some more time to, to breathe. I'd give that line a little bit more time to cook and see if they can develop more. And and I'm not suggesting anybody who is, you know, there's there's texters or callers sometimes that say, well, you know, how do they find a line like Kachuk, Kudrow, and Lindholm again? They don't. That that doesn't That was exist. a top line in the league. It that, was was, a... that was a unicorn line. I've, I've never seen a line like that covering this team full-time. Straight up, I, they, I've seen good lines, and, but covering this team full-time for 12-13, I, I haven't seen a line anywhere near as good as that line was. The closest to it was the Purple Gatorade or the Gaudreau, Monaghan, Hoodler line the one year, but neither of those lines were anywhere as good as what we saw in 21-22. So trying to recreate that's a fool's errand, but trying to find a line that you know is going to be your top line, that you know that us idiots are going to put at the top of our depth chart that's that's important and i think that's the best shot they've got at it and running through those metrics those numbers it makes sense to give them a bit of a run instead of shuffling the deck every period or every two periods hoping to find something and it might be a process where you have to show a lot of patience for but again the underlying numbers as you mentioned are already positive it's not like they've got to flip the trend of how they were playing together and you know find something if you just leave them together long enough in theory if those numbers continue they'll translate to goals they'll translate to assists they'll translate to points and eventually they'll translate to yes this is definitively calgary's top line and and just for a little bit more ammo on the whole thing we know that Backlund, Coleman, Manjapani work well together. Very well. But if you take Manjapani away from it, these are the numbers of Backlund and Coleman playing together at five on five this year. So just as just a pair. Just as a pair? Just as a duo. And they've had some different uh, some different people with them on lines, including Manjapani. But this is a nine game sample size of more than 103 minutes at five on five. They are a 58.7% possession duo uh, with a 36.1% offensive zone faceoff. So they are getting buried with defensive zone starts, and they are well above the Mendoza line for possession. They're almost a 60% possession group, and at high danger, uh, they've got a 25-17 edge as a duo. That, to me, is a duo that you can put Aaron Vickers, Chris uh-huh. Gilberts, and Derek Wills with. But not Pat Steinberg. Well, no, definitely not, but the three of you, sure. Um, you can put anybody with those two guys and expect them to still be a solid line. And so I'm okay, especially with how much this team is banging their head against the wall trying to find offense. I'm okay taking Manjapani away from that line, keeping Backlund and Coleman together as a power duo, and putting Manjapani with Huberdeau and Lindholm and seeing how it goes for a little bit. We'll see if it we'll see if it works, but I just think it, it deserves a little bit of time to breathe. You know how much I don't love breaking up that line, but in theory, if you're penciling it in as their third line and some would pencil it in as their second, sometimes you got to make that sacrifice to get a true top line going. So it makes sense to me to try. And I hope it gets a, a bit more runway than we've sort of seen some configurations 
over the course of the past two weeks or so. Uh, a few texts, 960, 960. Uh, this says it's great to have good analytics, but good analytics with zero ability to finish doesn't mean much. What can they do to start getting results? Well, I, I, I don't know on that one. They, they, finishing is not a strong suit of this team. I think that we are very well aware at this point. Um, this says Huberto, unfortunately, is playing terrible. After a solid three, four games to start the season, that's dipped a little bit. Um, this says uh, Zeri isn't the savior, obviously. I think pretty fair expectations are for him to eventually develop into a second-line forward. But for now, just be hard on the forecheck, crash nets. That's what he's good at and what they need. That's from Dylan in Red. Uh, and this says, leave the interrupting to Jeff Merrick, he says. So Jeff Merrick can interrupt, but not, not Aaron. Uh, I mean, if I'm really doing the whole balancing between myself and Jeff Merrick, I think he's earned the right a little bit more than I have. And uh, Wedley did pick up on the sultry Pat interview voice uh, when I asked that question to Connor Zeri. Very low and soft. So Wedley's always got his uh, ear out for it, and uh, he nailed it on that one. So well done, Wedley. As per usual, well done. We're underway this hour of Flames Talk. It's Steinberg and Vickers along with you from the Scotiabank Saddledome. And uh, everything is emanating back downtown from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time now for a Wednesday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills for popular colors, trims, and even wheel sizes. Check out the best curated collection of certified pre-owned Mercedes-Benz online at mercedesbenzcountryhills.ca. It's Steinberg, Vickers, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us here to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. Coming at you from the Scotiabank Saddledome on this Wednesday edition of Flames Talk. Well, gents, let's... um. You know what? I'm going to throw a curveball um, because I was going to ask about Dallas, but I'm not going to ask about Dallas. So I know Wilsey was in the room for the conversation we were having uh, just before we hit the round table. Uh, let's, let's pick back up on the whole idea of the Flames um, finding a top line. And, and for this game against the Stars, we think it's going to be Huberto, Lindholm, Manchpani. I know that you asked Ryan Huska about that when we spoke with him earlier on Wednesday too, Wilsey. It's just... That, that, to me, right now, seems like their best chance of finding a reasonable facsimile of a top line, which I think we're probably all in agreement. They, they need to find here at some point this season. Yeah, and I think of the guys they've tried with that duo of Elias Lindholm and Jonathan Huberto, Andrew Mangiapane, to this point, we're only nine games into the season, but to this point has been the best fit there. And you guys were talking about how you hate to see them break up what's been a really good line for three seasons whenever they've played together right. with Michael Backlund in between uh, Blake Coleman and Andrew Mangiapane. And I, I know where you're coming from. I hate to see them break those three guys up as well. But in my opinion, if you leave Backlund and Coleman together, whoever you put on that wing is going to be being put in a position to succeed. So I think you, you can leave those two guys together and you're still going to have a really effective line with Backlund, Coleman, and whoever is on the other wing. You need to get some other lines going. And I think that's what we've talked about. And the only time they break up that threesome of, of Backlund, 
uh, Coleman and Mangiapane is when they have to use one or more of those guys to try to get other guys going. So that's what's happening here. And uh, I do think that Mangiapane brings a, a little different element to that line. You've got uh, the, the playmaker in Huberto. You've got the, the 200-foot centerman who's also a shooter in Lindholm. And then you've got the worker bee right. in Mangiapane. And I know some fans were upset with him getting upset. Uh, during that uh, Heritage Classic against the Oilers on Sunday. But I don't know. I'd like to see more of that emotion from some Flames right now. They've lost five games in a row. They're 31st overall. I want to see guys with some fire in their belly, and he certainly has had that. So uh, I'm anxious to see those three guys together again. And I know Ryan Husk is just looking for combinations that work, but I'd also like to see the head coach leave some combinations together for a little while and see if they can develop some chemistry because quite obviously it hasn't been instant chemistry for for most of the groups yeah i'm in the exact same boat where if you're going to try this give it some runway don't give it a period and and then move on and and try another combination or don't give it just one game stretch it out and see because i'm going to steal pat's stat but of lines that have played minimum of 35 minutes together the Mangiapane Lindholm huberto combination has an expected goals for 65.5 percent which is eighth best in the league so in a small sample size, they've shown that they can at least generate. They haven't shown that necessarily that they can finish, yeah. but yeah. they've shown they can generate. And again, I don't think you can make that third line, if you want to call it a quote-unquote third line, a Mangiapane, Backlund, Coleman. You can't make that untouchable, even though it has been your best line by basically every single metric. Because at the end of the day, your top line has to be better than your third line. And we haven't seen that. We've seen the third line be better than the first and second line so far this season. So at some point, you do have to sacrifice that Backlund, Coleman, Mangiapane trio. And I'm, I'm of the same mind as you. Typically, whoever you put on that line with Coleman and Backlund are, are going to do very close to what that trio would have done. Um, so I'm in favor of flipping things up. I just want to see a longer runway for Lindholm, Hubert, Omagiapani, if and when that's the trio you're looking at. I, I just, I mean, they, they need to find, they need to find something where they, they've got a little bit of a trickle down. And I think having a trio of three of your potential top scorers, you know, Huberdeau has been a 90-plus point player or on, on on pace for that at different times, multiple times in his career. Lindholm has been a 20-goal scorer multiple times, probably should be a, a multiple-time 30-goal scorer, too. He kind of got robbed of a 30-goal season when the pandemic hit, uh, and he scored 40 once. And Manchpani is a perennial 20 to 30 goal guy as well so when you have those three players together you've got three of your potential top scorers i haven't minded them when they've been together it's not like it's been instant chemistry where like holy cow those guys feel like they've played together their entire lives it's not been like that but not every line needs to be like that but if you can keep them together and they can continue to give you some of the things that they've given you to this point where they have put together some good five on five outputs at the very least, then it starts to trickle down to some other lines. And then, you know, your your middle two lines of, of one centered by Backland and one centered by Kadri, maybe they're in better situations to succeed. So, yeah, I'd like to see them do that for a little while, too, and, and give that a little more runway. The other thing that Mangiapane brings to that line with Lindholm and Huberto is a guy who will go to the net. I'm sorry, guys, but this team's been way too one and done. 
Oh, for sure. And I think that's the single biggest reason why they're having a tough time scoring goals right now. If you're going to put pucks on net, you've got to get bodies to the net. You don't have enough guys who can score from distance on this team to just be able to to shoot from the half boards and, and expect the puck to go in on a regular basis. Will it happen once in a while? Sure. But it's not going to happen consistently. You've got to funnel pucks to the net, and you've got to get bodies to the net to tip pucks, screen goalies, create second and third chances. There just hasn't been enough of that. So when you think about Huberto, he's more of a perimeter player. Right. Lindholm is really good in the bumper, but with all of the responsibility the centerman has, I think it's tough for him to be that net front guy. So... That's going to be Manjapati's job, in my opinion. He's going to have to work hard along the boards and in the corners and in front of his opponent's net. And if he can do that, I really think this can be an effective threesome. When I've been doing my line combinations on the air and off the air for weeks, those are the three guys I've said I want to see back together because I think they've been the best together uh, of the players who have played alongside of Lindholm and Huberto. So hoping it works out with Manjapani because, again, as much as I love that line of Backlund, Coleman, and Manjapani, I think you can put another player on the right of Backlund and Coleman, and I think that line can still be effective. That's a good point, uh, Willsey, on the top line where, yeah, Jonathan Huberto will be the guy that has the puck down the left side and he'll stay perimeter. For me, Elias Lindholm is most effective when he's the third guy coming into the zone. So Mangiapane has to go to the net. He's got to be an agent of chaos for this mm-hmm. line. He's got to drive defensemen nuts. He's got to drive goalies nuts. He's got to get in sight lines. He's got to bang in rebounds, get sticks on pucks for tips and things like that. And if that happens for him, I think he's a great compliment for the other two. Daily Flames Roundtable. Uh, Derek Wills, Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg on this Wednesday. So we saw Matt Coronado lining up at center for the first time Tuesday at practice. And he was on a line with uh, A.J. Greer and Walker Dewar, and he was down the middle of that line. And, you know, now that we know Dylan Dubé's not playing in this game against Dallas, pretty good chance that the lines that we saw Tuesday at practice are what we'll see in this game, which would mean that Matt Coronado would play center for the first time in his NHL career. What do we think about that, gents? In theory, I'm not crazy about it. So you've got a 20-year-old rookie in Matt Coronado, and we, we've talked a ton about how the Flames going from man-on-man to zone in the defensive zone has put a lot more on the centerman's plate. I'm not sure that Coronado needs more on his plate because he's pointless in five, and he's goalless in seven. He's one of the best pure shooters on the team. Maybe they're thinking that... He's most dangerous from the middle of the ice, which is, of course, where the centerman spends a good chunk of his time. So move him into the middle and put him in a position to, to shoot if he can find those soft spots. And I do think he's done a better job finding those soft spots and making quicker decisions and getting the puck off his stick a little bit quicker. So I think he's going to start to come around offensively here. But I just think it's a lot to ask of a 20-year-old rookie when your entire team is still having some trouble figuring out the uh, a new way of defending. But again, it's, uh, I guess, time to experiment because this team's lost five in a row. What they've tried to this point hasn't worked, at least not consistently enough. When I saw Coronado there at practice yesterday, uh, I think I said to Megan, he must be a placeholder for Dubé, who wasn't practicing yesterday, but now Dubé's out tonight. So <laughs> there goes that theory. But 
we'll see. He's a smart guy, obviously. He went to Harvard, <laughs> so I'm sure he can figure it out. But I just I don't know if it puts him in the best position to succeed and to do what he does best, and that's shoot the puck. You stole my line. I was going to drop on my boy's wicked snot. But, so I don't think the zone element... Sorry, what now? The zone element might it's not a, be. Oh, okay. It's a movie reference. It's a Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, movie. sorry. Mm, That's a good movie. Yeah, I don't. So I don't think the adaption to the structure it's will necessarily. Thanks, buddy. I needed that real <laughs> bad. I don't think the adaption to the center position is going to be as daunting for him. Uh, he's been in every meeting, I imagine, trying to nail down. Okay, as a winger, so his primary focus would be what is my responsibility on the right boards. But I think he would be smart enough to know at some point this could happen, particularly because he was a center at times at Harvard. He was a center for Team USA at the World Championship. Now, I'm not saying the World Championship is the NHL because the level of competition is different. But what I saw out of him at the World Championship down the middle almost made me pause a little bit to go, okay, where could the Calgary Flames, in theory, use him long term? And again, that's kind of sewn up a little bit between Backlund Cadre, and we'll see what the future has to come for Elias Lindholm. But for a short-term stint, I'm okay with it because of the two things that I've been most impressed with outside of his shot in what I've seen from Matt Coronado is his battle level, his compete level, and his ability to dig for pucks and come out on the winning end of those one-on-one -on -one battles. So, And you also have the luxury of a home game, so you've got last change. So you can <laughs> dictate where you're at least starting Matt Coronado to sort of ease a little bit of that defensive responsibility. I... Uh... I, I like it. I um I think that it's a I think it's a good it's a good early test for him. And what I like is that it shows a lot of faith in him. And that's that's impressive that they are able to be confident enough to put him in a in a spot like that. Even if it is a number four center spot, shows a lot of faith that they think that this guy has got a good hockey mind and, and can handle it, even playing just his 10th NHL game. I agree with you that I think it's a lot to put on him, and I don't think in the early going it's a permanent thing. But I just I like the fact that they're showing the faith in him. That's that's the thing that I take away most. It's like, holy, Ryan Huska and crew, they, they've, they've really got to believe in this guy yeah. to even think about doing that. And so that, to me, is impressive. And that, to me, makes it very interesting to watch. Uh, I'm curious to see how it plays out. I'm curious to see how he does. Well, he's got a really high IQ and, in turn, a really high hockey IQ. So uh, he's smart enough to figure it out. But, uh, again, I, I think that there was some hesitation in his game. And I think he started to, to get away from that and make quicker decisions and get the puck off his stick quicker. I think moving him to center could cause some hesitation again. Instead of just naturally reacting uh, and, and things becoming kind of second nature as a winger, well, now you're moving to a new spot and you've got to figure out where should I be, what should I be doing, who should I be checking. So I don't want to see that hesitation in his game again. The other thing I wonder about, guys, he's not used to an NHL schedule or even a professional schedule, right. yep. which is way more taxing than the schedule he played in the NCAA. I think the centerman, especially with this new defensive zone system, has to work harder than anybody else on the ice. That's a lot of skating. So I do wonder if this is just going to add to his workload. Now, with all of this said... Ryan Huska has not been afraid to pull the trigger on changing his lines. That's true, too. In games. So if this is the way it starts, and we'll see, 
he can easily slide Yegor Sharangovich back into that spot between uh, A.J. Greer and Walker Dewar. They've got a bunch of guys who can play at least two, if not all three, forward positions. So it's not like you're, you're saying, okay, we're going to start Coronado here, and regardless of how it goes, we're going to leave him there for the entire game and for the entire season. Uh, they can easily make a change in-game if they want to. No, that's a fair point. I'm just curious to see the experiment down the middle because, again, going back to Worlds, he didn't look out of place amongst NHLers. It was amongst NHLers yeah. for the most part, but he didn't look out of place playing down the middle. And to be honest, I was surprised he played it there of all places, to be perfectly honest with you. But, again, he was productive there. He was good two-way. He wasn't a liability in his own end. Uh, I can't immediately think back to what structure defensively uh, Quinn was using for Team Big USA back though. then. That's true, too, but... Again, more space to lose your assignments. and Yeah, but also more time and space, right? And that, In the offensive zone. Yeah, In the defensive zone, it's more ground to cover. It is. Uh, it's just one of the things I, I came away from the Heritage Classic in Edmonton yeah. thinking about. Because first time in 23 years of calling pro hockey games that I called one from ice level. And I could not believe the lack of time and space. Everything happens so quickly. So... We'll see. It'll be an interesting experiment against a, a Stars team that's off to a fantastic start. Not to sidetrack this entire conversation, but I feel like we're obligated as media to at least spend one game close to ice level. Because up in the press box in the South Dome, I'm an NHLer. You're an NHLer. Pat's even an NHLer. Because when, oh, you, have that, that far. when you have that vantage point, you see absolutely everything yeah. and you see massive gaps between bodies. You get down to a corner or a rinkside like you were, you're asking players to in half a second, determine where they're going to put the puck through nine bodies they can't see in the hopes that the guy that you're passing it to is in the spot he should be. It's yeah. insane how fast this game is. Yes. That we can agree on. Uh, thank you, Wilsey. That is your Daily Flames roundtable. That starts to wrap us up on the roundtable on, uh, on this Wednesday. Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg, along with you as well. And your Daily Flames roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills for popular colors, trims, and even wheel sizes. Check out the best curated collection of certified pre-owned Mercedes-Benz online at mercedesbenzcountryhills.ca. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, it's time to go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op this hockey season. Support local, find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. It's Steinberg along with you from the Scotiabank Saddledome. And now we say hello to our Pacific Division insider, Jonathan Davis, now with us from NHL Network and NHL Network Radio. Hello, J.D. How are we doing on this Wednesday? We're doing fine. Uh, how are you? Is like you know, you're, you're just in a wonderful city right now that is loving its hockey team. Yeah, it's uh, it's not all uh, bubble gum and rainbows or whatever weird uh, whatever weird analogies you want to make. It's it ain't good. Uh, there's there's a there's a lot not positive going on around here. It's it's been a it's been a start to the season that has been about as worst case scenario as you could possibly get. Injuries, results, all of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's not so good up here. You know, I know you just be asking the questions, but I, I mean, the one question that I would, you know, I, I'm just curious about is like, what's the identity of this team? I don't know, JD. That's maybe my yeah. number okay. one question <laughs> yeah. with this team. Like, honestly, what yeah. are you? And we don't know I, yet. I, I honestly do yeah. not know what this team is. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, that's the thing that just baffles me. Like, you watch this team and you're waiting for somebody to, 
you know, just grab the bull by the horns and, you know, it's not the $10.5 million guy. That's just not his DNA. Um, that's just what's concerning. That's the biggest thing for me. It's like, who, who turns this thing around for this team right now? Yeah. I, I'm sure that we would all have a question now in saying all of that, Pat, you know, you know that I love to always talk a little wagering here. I mean, I was looking and it's like 84% of the bets and 85% of the money is on the Dallas stars tonight. Yet the betting line hasn't moved. And that, Never. That just does not make any sense to me. Huh. It's it. Yeah, it's really weird. I mean, I, I was, you know, uh, it's a game, you know, and look, Ottinger has been the flames have been Ottinger's kryptonite. Right. I mean, his numbers are terrible against Calgary. His numbers have been great this year. And regular season-wise, right. right, his numbers not great against Calgary. The only time his numbers are good against Calgary is in a seven-game playoff series in the spring of yeah. 2020. When he couldn't, um, couldn't be beaten, it felt like. Yeah. All right. Now you can control the show. Well, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't have an answer for you because that's our biggest question out here. What are you? What is this team's identity? We don't know. Um, well, let's spin around the Pacific Division. Let's start in uh, Los Angeles with the LA Kings. And, you know, one of their big questions coming into the season was goaltending. And was their goaltending duo going to be able to get the job done? Well, it, it feels like maybe that is uh, starting to come around at least on, on uh, one side and one of those two goaltenders starting to settle in. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you look at the way that Cam Talbot played against Vegas on Saturday night and then the way he looked again last night against the Maple Leafs, and it's definitely a sign of encouragement. Um, you know, I, I was at the game on Saturday and was, you know, talked to Todd McClellan after the game, and, you know, he had a lot of high praise for, for Talbot and just the way he was anticipating shots and so and being in the right place, and it sure looked that way. So, you know, the big concern for L.A., as you mentioned off the top, was goaltending. And, and, and I've said it's the one thing that makes them right now a playoff contender as opposed to a cup contender. If they can get the goaltending from Cam Talbot, um, like they've had these last two games, then they're in a really good spot because there's no question this team can score goals. Um, now, you know, the, 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 uh, if you want to play – you know, Debbie Downer here, you know, they played a Vegas team and we'll get to Vegas in a little bit that looks like they're still playing with a Stanley cup hangover. And they got a Leafs team last night that, um, you know, that was in, in that bad spot. You know, it's the first game home after, you know, a road trip of at least four games. That's a bad spot. It was interesting. Mark Messier talked about that on the telecast and how tough it is for teams. But at the end of the day, you know, last night was the first game that LA won against a team that has a winning record. So that's an and it's it's good to see that their goaltending is coming around and and speaking of of goaltending in Southern California as we flip to the other SoCal team the Anaheim Ducks they they got some good goaltending from one person in particular in the month of uh in the month of October to the tune of a rookie of the month award. Yeah, Lucas Dostal with four wins and five October appearances. And, look, there, there's no question that he, he is the goalie of the future. Now, the question is, is that when does that future start? And, you know, that future starts if they're able to move John Gibson. It starts a lot sooner. 
but it definitely, you know, what we saw from Dostal, you know, last year and, you know, what we've seen in the early going this year, uh, you know, it's just one more piece for this Anaheim team that has, you know, has done a really good job of building itself from, you know, the goalie out. And then they're, now they're starting to see, reap the benefits of, you know, up front with, you know, from a young standpoint with Leo Carlson, uh, you know, with Trevor Zegras, with Troy Terry, and then with Mr. Cy Young, Frank Petrano right now. Yeah. Yeah, he uh he what what what's his record right now? Nine and one. Oh he's he's off to a great start. Nine goals and one <laughs> assist. He's he's right near the top of the NHL goal scoring list. Yeah, I think he's just behind the brinket, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Or is he Yeah. Yeah, and, and a twenty nine percent shooting percentage. So look, you know it, it, very sustainable. That yeah. Very <laughs> Very sustainable, right? So, look, it's going to fall off. But regardless, right now, you know, when you take a look at Anaheim, you know, they come off that four-game road trip. And you think about, you know, some of the things that went on during that trip. You had Trevor Zegers gets benched for the third period in overtime against Columbus, comes back out the next night and plays, I think, 20-plus minutes against Boston. They beat the Boston Bruins, hand the Bruins their first loss of the year in overtime in a game where they scored – Two goals with the, you know, when after they pulled the goalie, two goals in the final two minutes, and then you know you look at their their last win on the road trip in um, in Pittsburgh, where they're going toe to toe with the Penguins, and then it's a Mason McTavish shorthanded goal with 14 seconds left after they just killed a five on three, and McTavish had come out of the box and you know scores that game winner. There's a lot of good things, and then that same game you get your you know Greg Cronin gets tossed. Because yeah. he's not happy about a goalie interference call. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm not the only one to share this opinion, but I think Greg Cronin's just trying to show the, show his players that, hey, look, I'm asking a lot of you, like, you know, how he, how he benched Trevor Zegers. And I think he got himself tossed just, to, you know, to send a message that I'm going to fight for you guys. And I'm I, I'm in I'm I'm in this is whatever I'm asking of you I'm asking of myself and I think that was it, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. Um, I I, got, I didn't, you know go ahead. I was just gonna say I I didn't know much about Greg Cronin when they hired him, but just listening to people around the league talking with you every week, it 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 mm-hmm. feels like he was a really good fit for what this Ducks team is right now. It feels like they may have really gotten the right guy for what this team needs. You know, and it's interesting just how this whole thing came together because you know you've got Pat Verbeek, the GM, you know, a farm boy from Western Canada and you've got Greg Cronin who, you know, a Boston boy and, uh, and how they were put together was through the connection of Craig Billington, who Cronin was with in Colorado and Billington, a teammate of Verbeek's. And that's how they got connected. Um, and it's worked out really well. And Cronin, no question. I mean, he's a, he's a tough, tough guy. And he looks like he could still beat the snot. I, I wouldn't. I don't know if he's in Brindamore, you know, territory, but he's pretty close. That guy, sixty years old. He's he's. I, I wouldn't be messing with him. Agreed. Plus, he's from Boston. You you don't want to mess with it, with him. Agreed. Agreed. Makes him even tougher. Uh, we're chatting with Jonathan Davis. He's our NHL Network uh, Pacific Division insider. He joins us uh, Wednesdays inside hockey here on Flames Talk, like he's doing as you're listening right now. Let's uh, let's head to Vancouver where. Uh, Hey, 
Elias Pettersson, he's a former Calder Trophy winner. He had a breakout season last year, and he is off to another outstanding start with the Canucks. Yeah, I mean, the, the hat trick last night, and even despite that, what does Rick Tockett do after the game? He, he criticizes, you know, Petey for some of his sloppiness in, in turning pucks over. Um, you know, there's no question the message that Tockett is sending right off the bat. Uh, but 16 points tied with, with, with Jack Hughes, and uh, and looks like he's playing, you know, a 200-foot game. I mean, it's one of the things that I think Rick Tockett is, he's put him out in all situations. I still go back, you know, I think the one thing, one thing that does stand out for me with Petey this year, I go back to think it was about the first or second game against Edmonton where he he leveled Cody Cece. Uh, you know, Petey Elias Pettersson is all in, and uh, and Rick Tockett is all in. And the fact that Rick Tockett, you know, you know, sat JT Miller on the bench for like four or five minutes last night, including you know not putting him out on the power play, and you know they they sorted things out in the locker room. I think during the second period intermission and dealt with it. And, and put it to rest, and, and that, you know, and Miller was back out there. But Rick Tockett, just like Greg Cronin, uh, he's trying to make sure that his team doesn't develop any bad habits right from the start because it's been, you know, I think, you know, the Canucks players have talked about the fact that it was a dumpster fire the last couple of years. And so, um, you know, Tockett's come in there and, and, and really, I think, has done a phenomenal job. And by the way, Pat, I, 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 I I'm not going to assume, but I, I would think you saw him and, and Scott Oak and Louie on Saturday night. Uh, did you did you watch After Hours? I uh, I actually did not. I was uh, because I was uh, off site. I, I I saw I saw it on the screen. I just didn't hear it, but I heard it was really really good. Oh my god! It was what a, an outstanding interview. And I actually, think the highlight was seeing the photos of DeBrusque, uh back in the day when he was with Tockett in Arizona. Man, that guy was ripped. Talking, talking was saying the guy would be doing hundred pound curls. <laughs> That's awesome. Go watch uh, the interview on, on that uh, website for the company that you work for. You know. Um, believe it's a sportsnet.ca. You know, uh, that's that's where I could go find. Yeah, I think what that's what it's called. Okay, yeah, I'll see. What yeah, I can do. it was. I ended up going or, or YouTube. I, I don't know. It was, it was very good, but you just got even more insight into into talk it, and you know, he he just understands the market and. You know, I, I, the whole media experience, I think, was something that was helpful for him. And he didn't, you know, he talks about how he, you know, he doesn't shy away from reading or watching, you know, what the media is saying. And I don't know. I just think Vancouver's in a in a really good spot. And with, you know, with Calgary and, and Edmonton still trying to find their way, I mean, they've got an opportunity. And, you know, I think the one thing, like last night, they come away with a 5-2 win in a game that was very sloppy but they still found a way to win. And I don't know if they would have won that game a year ago, but they're getting really good goaltending from Demko and, and Casey to Smith. Um, and I just, you know, they've got to, you know, they, they're in a stretch right now. I think we may have talked about it a week ago where I said to you, you know, they've got a five game stretch where they had four winnable games. Yep. And I think, you know, just uh, I'm just trying to remember. I know that the, you know the and the Ranger game that they lost. I mean, they easily could have won that, and they still came away with, with a, point. a point on that yeah. one. You know, so I, I I look at what Vancouver is doing, and right. So they had that that five game stretch was was uh, Nashville, St. Louis, the Rangers, Nashville again. Oh, and they've got San Jose <laughs> uh, tomorrow night. 
you know, that <laughs> that channel, we can get to that story. I mean, that's, that's just an absolute, what, what a nightmare that is. I mean, you know, if you're going to tear it down, I guess you really tear it down. Um, but this is, you know, this is just embarrassing. It's, it's one goal in eight of nine games. Or less, one or less. I'm talking, and doesn't seem one. like it is is in any hurry to get fixed either. Like that, they may not score a hundred goals this year. <laughs> like it's painful. <laughs> it, it is, and you know, and look, there are guys on that roster that you know that have, you know uh, you know you've got Thomas Hurdle and you've got you know and, and Duclair. I mean, you've got guys with NHL pedigree that that. It can put the puck in the net. I mean, it's just, but the one thing I, I do wonder, Pat, is that, you know, you look at that roster and the one, this is where I, I do wonder where the loss of Eric Carlson to this team and the impact that that has, because I don't think they've got somebody that can move the puck out of the, you know, effectively out of the zone. And we all, we all know this game goes transition game. And I think that this is where not having Carlson, I'm not, I'm not lamenting the fact that they traded him, but I think that this is partially, you know, you, you, I mean, look at that blue line. It's, it's pretty scary when you, when you think about, you know, look, Mario Ferraro is a really solid and a guy that, you know, could play for team Canada, very good defensively. Um, But, you know, other guys like Matt Benning and Mark Edward Vlasic and Kyle Burroughs and Jan Ruta. I mean, you know, Where's your yep. puck mover? Yep. And so if you can't get the puck out of your zone, it's going to be really hard to score goals. And and we've obviously seen that it's very hard to score goals. The uh, And just before we move on to Vegas, just quickly uh, bouncing yep. back to Vancouver because the, the San Jose stuff is, is just painful. But we, we talked about uh, EP40 and Elias Pettersson, but – Talk about where Quinn Hughes is right now. He is he is having like we're the 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 two guys that Vancouver has hitched their wagon to. Uh, they are off to yeah. outstanding starts. It feels like Quinn Hughes has ascended to another level on the blue line. Yeah, and I think Talk has, has addressed it that you know Quinn sees what's going on with Jack, and you know the the, the brothers are very competitive. Uh, to say the least. And so, you know, one of the things that Quinn Hughes had, had talked about was being more a part of the offense and, and just, and, and taking more shots. And we're seeing that. I mean, he's tied for, he's tied for the league lead and shots on goal for defensemen. He's tied in points uh, with Adam Fox with 16 uh, amongst defensemen. Uh, you know, the, the C is, does not seem to be wearing heavy on, on, on Quinn Hughes. No, not at all. In fact, it might be uh, bringing out the best in him on Vancouver's blue line. Let's uh, let's close it off in Vegas. First of all, the Golden Knights kind of uh, exonerated from that uh, nightmare of Genny Dadnov trade from uh, uh, the trade deadline of 2022. So that we found out today. They've kind of, not kind of, but have definitely been exonerated, and all the blame is on Ottawa. So that is news out of Vegas today. Um, and also news out of Vegas, they, they don't lose games in regulation, apparently. They don't. Um, but, Pat, you know, I had a chance to talk with some players, some coaches, uh, people with the team on Saturday night. And I don't want to say it's fool's gold, but I, I, I really get the sense that, you know, they they haven't, despite the fact that they haven't lost it's a lot of this is just they're they're really talented 
and they've been able to get away with it. Um, you know, the loss to Chicago, uh, you know, their their first loss, that, that overtime loss to Chicago, they were sleepwalking through that one. And, and people were saying, you know, even the game when they beat Chicago 5-2 in Chicago, it was 2-2 after 2. They played one really good game this year. That was against Dallas when they were missing half their blue line. And they won that game, I think, in a shootout. It was either shootout or overtime. Um, you know, but other than that, I mean, you know, the Montreal game was kind of ugly. Uh, again, just, you know, found, found a way to win that one in the shootout. You know, you had the, the fluky goal that, uh, that Aiden Hill gave up to Sean Monaghan. But, you know, they've got Winnipeg coming up uh, Thursday, tomorrow night. And then it's Colorado on Saturday. Um, you know, who gets their first loss first? Uh, is it Vegas? Who, does Vegas get their first loss before San Jose gets their first win? I wouldn't be surprised uh, if that was the case. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, uh, you know, we'll we'll see where this goes. Color, I mean, I, I was trying to make my way to Vegas for that game on Saturday night, especially after what we saw in the preseason between those two. I mean, the hatred is already on. Um, between Colorado and Vegas from the preseason. But, you know what, Vegas had that 5-3 win in Winnipeg uh, early in, you know, it was like their second or third game of the year. Uh, this, this, this could be a spot for them where they suffer their first regulation loss. But there's no question that, you know, they're, they just don't look, they don't look great. That Saturday game against L.A. that I was at, they finally woke up midway through the second period and looked really good. They looked like Vegas, but... Uh, and they look like the defending cup champions, but it's been a lot of just uh, getting by on sheer talent. Which is kind of scary for the rest of the Pacific Division if they figure it out, <laughs> hey? They're just, it, it they're just sitting and, at 9-0-1. Right, right. But look, you know, we, look, we saw what, look what happened. You know, the fact that Colorado, like who had on their bingo card the Colorado Avalanche getting blanked in back-to-back games? I know. Especially the way they started. Right. Like never in a million years would have thought that that was going to happen, especially to, you know, to to get blanked by, well, by Pittsburgh and Buffalo. I mean, again, especially Pittsburgh, like what a nightmare that is. You guys are having problems, but man, you know, Sidney Crosby tried in that Anaheim game, everything he could to, to propel the Penguins to victory. He had 11 shots on goal that night. Yeah. Well, I mean, the good news is we might witness history with San Jose this year. They, they may end up being the worst team to ever play the the sport at a professional level. They're zero eight and one, and I like honestly, every night they you feel like they should lose, and it's just I get what Mike Greer is doing, and and I know what they're trying to do, but like this could be year one Tampa Bay Lightning Ottawa Senators stuff like that that's what we're seeing this could be a historically awful season in San Jose and and hopefully yeah. they they build it the right way so this is temporary because when that that's a that's a damn good hockey market it's it's tough it to see it but boy they are going to be bad this year yeah, no, they they are. I mean, yeah, Ottawa. You know, I, I'm thinking even back to the Capitals. I think it was in the mm-hmm. late '70s when they, I think they had like eight wins. I mean, and to think they actually led Washington one nothing uh, a couple of games ago, and then that was it. You know, uh, it's it's really yeah, it, it's not pretty. Good stuff, JD. It's not we'll, pretty. 
We'll do it again right, next buddy. week. Maybe, maybe, maybe San Jose. Will San Jose have scored a combined four goals by the time we play next? We'll see. <laughs> uh, thanks, buddy. Good stuff as always. All right. Enjoy tonight. That's uh, Jonathan Davis. He is our NHL Network Insider, Pacific Division Insider. He joins us inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Hello, fans. Calgary Co-op has refreshed its membership just for you. Now you can shop, save, and win with the new Calgary Co-op app. Download on the Apple Store and Google Play Store. As we start to wrap up this hour of Flames Talk, thanks for hanging out with us. Of course, we're always available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Aaron Vickers is on Twitter at AA Vickers. Thanks to our outstanding producers, Taylor and Cam, as well. And uh, that is uh, this hour, which has been the Sports Drive. Sports Drive, as always, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $1450, or explore the full line of safes at calgarylockandsafe.com.